Before we get to the podcast, I wanted to make sure that you knew that my online knee course with Lenny Macrina is on sale for $200 off this week. If you want to learn exactly how to evaluate and treat the knee, you're going to love our comprehensive course where we cover our clinical examination, exercise progressions, and specific information on ACL, meniscus, patellofemoral, articular cartilage, osteoarthritis, and so much more. Plus, you can earn a ton of CEU credit. The course is on sale this week for $200 off. Head to MikeReynolds.com slash knee for more information and to sign up today. On this episode of the Ask Mike Reynolds Show, we talk about altering movement patterns when they're pain-free. The Ask Mike Reynolds Show. Helping people feel better, move better, and perform better. Before we get to the podcast, I wanted to make sure you knew about my free online course on the introduction to performance therapy and training. If you want to learn how to get started optimizing and enhancing performance, this is the course for you. Head to MikeReynolds.com slash performance to sign up today. Welcome back, everybody, to the Ask Mike Reynolds Show. I am up at Champion PT and Performance with everybody here <laughs> answering your questions today. Worst intro out of 300 episodes ever, but you know the drill. It's the 300th episode, you know by now. So what do we have? We have Dan Pope, Lisa Lowe, Dewesh Podell, Lenny McCrina, Kevin Coughlin, Mike Skidido, and Dave Tilly, all here answering your questions. Anything you want to talk about, head to MikeRonald.com, click on that podcast link, and fill out the form to ask us a question. So we can answer your questions. That's what this podcast is all about. Len, who do we have for a student today? We have one student. This is a very unusual time in the world of champion. Um, we have Michael Barra from Belmont University in beautiful Nashville, Tennessee. Michael played Division One baseball, and watching him throw, it's obvious he played Division One baseball. <laughs> yeah. So, so my own. What do you? You got the yips? What do you got? Uh, yeah, I got a case of the yips. <laughs> is, it, is it the yips, um, or are you injured right now? Because we've been uh, watching you play catch, and I think it's definitely the yips. Is it sad at a standpoint and champion? Is it, so Lenny and I, we made it. We're well into our forties, especially Lenny. And um, man, we just we just kind of stopped playing catch like two, three <laughs> times a day at work, right? Like because our arms are killing us and stuff. So Michael, you got a long way to go, my friend. So uh, so heal up, get that arm going, let's get that cuff strength going. But anyway, Michael, what do we have for a question today? Today, we got a question about altering pain-free movements. So from Kevin in New York City, he's asking, when would you change someone's pain-free movement pattern? For example, when a knee moves into valgus with a squat. Uh, man, I would say we get a variation of this question <laughs> almost every time we record episodes to some extent. And I feel like we've touched on it a bit in the past, but it's, it's kind of like a polarizing topic in here. But, um, but yeah, I mean, we deal with this question quite a bit. I like the way Kevin phrased it. And I think that's why we picked your, your question this time, Kevin here is that it, it was more about, not about like, like what is good and what's bad, but is when would you change someone's movement pattern that you deem poor or suboptimal? when it's a pain-free movement pattern. Who wants to start with this one? Dave? Yeah, I can think of two things off the top of my head quickly. So one is, I think, maybe the argument or the thought process of like, you know, training into a, um, like a valgus load, for example, or some sort of movement to like strengthen that tissue capacity to end range. 
has good merit, but I think we have gotten a little bit too far down the rabbit hole on this one. So people are like, you know, doing jumps into Valgus and are doing some things. So the first time <laughs> I think in my mind is when there's an abundance of evidence that maybe suggests that a certain type of position is maybe higher risk, right? I think ACL tears and dynamic valgus under load is a really good example. Like there's pretty good evidence that that's a pretty classic mechanism of how to put more stress on your ACL. So if you're a predisposed athlete that's jumping and landing and you see someone who's doing a loaded box jump or a depth jump and they have this raging valgus where they jump up and down, you'd probably want to correct that because again, we have a pretty good substantial amount of evidence that that's a risk factor. Not that you're going to tear your ACL or something's going to go wrong. That's one of them. But also the other one that comes up a lot too is like moving flexion in a spine during like a deadlift, for example. Like I think we have some decent evidence that undergoing flexion of your spine while you're moving through a high load is predisposing you to more flexion and tolerant back pain. So it's just, there's a, there's a good chunk of evidence that those things are a little concerning. So in my mind, if someone is, you know, learning how to deadlift for the first time, we wouldn't want to maybe see them doing a very aggressively flexing of the spine during that movement. So maybe as a coach, you would, you would support that. So that's one, the other time I can think about for more of a sport specific and a coaching point of view is when it's, it's very much a sport specific, um, adaptation. So you're trying to learn how to throw or run or do gymnastics or something like that. And from a, a coaching point of view, it's a technical advantage to change the way you're moving, even if there's no pain, you know, involved with that. So maybe as a really experienced baseball coach, you guys would know, you know, as you watch someone throw, if there's something, when you watch someone throw, you're like, Ooh, uh, you know, we want to be careful of that because X, Y, and Z of stress on the elbow. So I, I can know a lot of examples in gymnastics where I would watch somebody do something. And I'm like, ah, you know, we'd want to change maybe the way you land, the way you do something in a skill, because it's again, an elevated risk of either soreness or we know performance wise, it's maybe not optimal. I think on I like the flip that. side to is an, ele- ele- an elevated risk, but I think we also know there's a decrease in injury rates when you have uh, I guess programs that are there to guide your landing and and getting out of valgus, right? So we look at some of Tim Hewitt's stuff and his recent meta analysis of a meta analysis, which is funny because I'm waiting for the meta analysis, the meta analysis, the meta analysis, but showed a 67% reduction in ACL injuries with working on neuromuscular control and getting out of valgus. So yeah, we can say it's okay to get into valgus and all that. But we also know getting out of valgus has a ton of research that says it protects you from tearing your ACL. That's why all these PEP programs and all these uh, neuromuscular control programs are out there to decrease ACL rates, particularly in women. So I would say let's get out of the valgus and the extreme valgus position and, and trying to train people to have tissue, you know, uh, uh, compensations in valgus. Cause I think we're just, we're going down a road that we don't want to, we don't want to go down because we know the other, the, the inverse of that is protecting. Dan, what do you think? I, I saw you're, you're you're trying to get the attention. I know. I feel like there's like a million ways we can go right now with this one right, right. here. Um, <laughs> just, I, well, just like movements, there's a million ways you can go. Just just go with the best one. Yeah. <laughs> well, one of the things I, I find myself talking to students frequently, and I work with a lot of weightlifters, right? So I think a little bit of valgus from a weightlifting perspective is very different from valgus, you know, and, you know, it's playing like soccer where you're having tremendous loads in valgus. It's a little bit different. Um, one of the things that I often tell some of the students I'm working with is I'm working with, let's say a very high level power lifter. If I start altering their technique, cause I think it's a little bit off, I kind of run that risk of making them a little bit worse, right? Just because they've developed this pattern over years and years and years, and maybe they are a little bit better adapted to that movement than someone else, right? But if I have a novice and I think, A, they're in a position that may increase stress to a given area, let's say they're having a lot of valgus when they lift and they're at a point in their career where I can make that change, maybe make them a little bit more optimal from a lifting perspective, 
and potentially reduce that risk down the road, why wouldn't you? You know what I mean? And then if I have someone who has, let's say, chronic flexion-based low back pain, there's a lot of folks will say, hey, you should be able to adapt to a flex spine uh, from a lifting perspective over the course of time. But you'll see folks that they just keep having these frequent flare-ups over the course of years. I'm probably going to change that person's technique to see if they can be more successful over the course of time and have a less frequent flare-ups with a more neutral spine. So people always make this argument of you can adapt. Well, if someone's not adapting, maybe we make that change. They can have more success over time. I like that. Really, really well said. I think it also comes down to the forces through the knee too, right? When you have a valgus force with your, in a deceleration type uh, movement where you're running, cutting, your trunk is going in one direction, knees going in another direction, that's different than doing a squat with slight valgus. So I think we're always, we're trying to put them as the same concept on social media, but they just don't, you can't, it's like comparing apples and oranges. You know what I mean? And that's why the forces through the ACL, you get a tearing in a soccer volleyball type uh, valgus versus <laughs> I don't I mean maybe somebody has torn their ACL doing weightlifting. It's probably more <laughs> patella tendon, quad tendon, you know, uh, disc rupture or something like that. That's going to be your, your most common thing. But, yeah. Isn't every movement pain free? until it isn't exactly <laughs> right. Like, I mean, not, not to, you know, I mean, not, not to go too deep into that one, but right. right? Like, you know, and like I tore my ACL in the last run of the day, of course, it was the last <laughs> run of your day. Every, exactly. Right. <laughs> I, it's just, you always find your car keys in the last place you look, right. It's just, <laughs> absolutely. I, I, I mean, yeah, no, it's, it's, it's an interesting way to think about, it, but I, I like the way that you guys so far have laid it out. Like that's, that's a good way of thinking of it is, if if we obviously know that there are significant risk factors that increase because of a movement, great. If you've had recurring issues with poor patterns, great. That that makes sense. But um, you know, to me, I, I I think sometimes these dramas get a little carried away online. But the reason why I like answering these questions here is because I'm telling you the the, the students, the early career professionals, they are confused as heck because they see these arguments and they have no context and they don't understand these little these little like concepts that we're talking about here. So uh, what else, Kevin, did you, uh, did you have some? Yeah, I was just going to say, I thought Dan kind of nailed it and Dave alluded to this too, but uh, one of the times that I'll really consider changing it, if it's not something that they've had chronic problems with in the past is just considering their training age. So kind of like Dan said, if they're a novice weightlifter uh, and they're displaying like some crazy patterns, like they'll squat and their heel comes way up off the ground, which you see pretty frequently, or they kind of dive into the valgus. Um, that's something I'll try to cue and, and correct. And I wonder what Duesh's thoughts are on this, but I do feel like some of the best athletes we have have a wide range of movement patterns that they can uh, access at any time. So, you know, if, if they have one pattern, and that's just their only pattern they can access, and it's, you know, say it's something like a knee valgus, well, we, we might want to change that just to give them other options. Um, and maybe those will carry over to on the field, like Lenny was talking about. But it seems like to increase athletic performance, they should be able to move in various ways as well. Dewey, what do you think? Yeah, no, I think I think everyone's point so far has been on the money. Like I think we we definitely have to respect the the valgus forces, like Lenny said in in sport, and you know, like the, the high velocity, high force type situations. That's probably going to cause a higher rate of injury. Um, while at the same time, like the perspective that I want to look at it from is almost developing a better eye as coaches and PTs to be able to see what is valgus 
and maybe what some other movement patterns that maybe looks like values, right? Like one, one memory that I have vividly um, is working with one of my basketball guys. Um, he's someone that is extremely bouncy, like jumps out of the building, but has really good control of his body. But he's also someone that's got a ton of internal rotation, knows really well, just innately how to like collapse the arch of his foot to kind of get into a good eccentric loaded position and then kind of rebounds out of that by supinating and then, you know, ERing his hips a little bit more. So like early on, I remember thinking like, all right, I got to fix this kid squat, fix this kid squat. Cause every time he gets out of the bottom, all right, like just out of the bottom position, foot's a little collapsed and knees a little in, but then he kind of comes right out and he's really powerful out of that position. Well, over the course of time, I realized that I could cue him as much as I wanted, but that's just a position that he, you know, creates his power from because he's just using his ability to eccentrically load collapse arch of his foot, IR his hips a little bit, and then reverse that completely on the concentric to get up out of it, right? And I started realizing this because as he's jumping, he does the exact same thing. So it wasn't true valgus that I was looking at initially, right? It was just his ability to actually control pronation and, and internal rotation of his hips that's actually helping him kind of load eccentrically and then be a little bit more powerful. So I think one thing that we got to be a little bit better at is like really assessing what's true valgus, especially in movements that we know are more controlled, right? Like mm-hmm. squat. I, I like that. And, you know, I, I think the only thing I'd add that kind of, you know, you know, um, you know, teams up on some of the things you guys have said here is that, you know, there's a spectrum of acceptable movements, right? Um, you know, and I think, I think sometimes, you know, we've all made that mistake in the past, like, you know, say like a sport mechanic type thing, there isn't one way to swing a bat or a golf club or throw a ball, right? There's, there's multiple ways. Um, I think as clinicians, we should understand maybe the ends of that spectrum that may be, uh, potentially detrimental either for performance or for injury risk. I think we have to understand that um i don't think we have to like you know make it a fearful thing like and i think that's what sometimes people on social media are are worried about right like i don't think we're going to tell anybody that their knees are going to explode on it but i i think if we say that you know there's you know if we tweak this a little bit we might be able to you know decrease the stress on your body and enhance your force output and i think that's a win-win for most people so um you know i i would just say there's probably an acceptable range of motion within pain-free movement Right. And I think it's our careful eye that you'll develop with a little experience that is going to tell you when somebody may be kind of getting to the ends of that spectrum, if that makes sense. So, uh, so good, good question, Kevin. Hopefully that helped. If you have a question like that, head to MikeRonald.com, click on that podcast link and be sure to head to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to your podcast, rate, review, please subscribe, and we will see you on the next episode. Thanks so much for listening to the podcast. If you have a question you'd like us to answer, head to MikeRinal.com slash podcast and fill out the form to submit your question. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe, rate, and review us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcast. And please share this with your friends to help spread the word. It would really mean so much to us. Please check out all my online courses, articles, newsletter, and more at MikeRinal.com. There's always a ton of great perks for my newsletter subscribers. And be sure to check for my other podcast, the Sports Physical Therapy Podcast, where I go deep into topics and interview leaders within our field. See you on the next episode.